This is Gene Lance on the Workers' Beat Extra. We're starting Black History Month, and we were fortunate to be able to get Amber Sims. Amber Sims, what's your relationship to history around here? Mm -hmm. So I am, and I need to go back and check for sure, but at least a fifth generation Texan um, from, from the area. And my dad is from Birmingham, Alabama, and my mom's from East Texas by way of a place called Jacksonville. And they met in Hawkins, Texas at Jarvis Christian College. Um, so I've always really been interested in history, and I wanted to learn more about the Freedmanstown community that's in uh what is now called Uptown, but what was former Short North Dallas, Freedmanstown, State and Allen neighborhood. And so I just began to dig in and do some research and found some really um, interesting history that I didn't know before, Steve. And you made a bunch of headlines this week mm -hmm. because you discovered the site of the first Black high school from Dallas. Mm -hmm. What was the name of that school? Yes, yeah, so the school originally was called Color Dallas Colored High School, pretty simply. Back then, schools actually weren't named, they were numbered. And so, for example, it'd be school number one, and then for the Black schools, it'd be colored school number one, etc. And so the first Black colored high school was built in the year 1892, and the school then turned over to become B.F. Durrell, uh, which operated as a middle school and an elementary school until 1969. So who was Mr. Durrell or Mrs. Durrell? Yes. Yeah, so Mr. Uh, his name uh, was uh, a lot of folks I noticed went by initials back then. His name was Benjamin Franklin Durrell. And he actually went to Fisk University in Tennessee and came to Dallas and became a longtime educator. He participated um, in the local chorus, and he was actually really famously known, if you go back and look um, through the Dallas Morning News archives, for being um, the, the starter, the creator of the Black uh, Dallas Night School in Dallas ISD. And so he um, really advocated for education because um, you have to think when he was here, um, it, it was still people that were formerly enslaved um, and the illiteracy rate in general and especially among African-Americans at the time was really high. Um, and so he worked for a long time on the night school. And the school was located there on, is it Hall Street right by uh, uh, Highway 75? Exactly. The address is 3212 Cochran Street, but it's right off of Hall. And then as a landmark, there's a pretty new Starbucks that's there um, on the corner. <laughs> and it'll be um, what I know that we'll talk about as well is the site of a new Kroger grocery store. They're going to build a giant grocery store there. Giant. And the city gave them $2 million to do that. $2 million for a tax break, which and is until you absurd. dug it up, until you dug it up. Nobody realized that this was the site of the first black high school in the mm -hmm. Dallas area. And that whole area, you called it Freedman Town? Mm -hmm. And it was quite large. It was very large. Did it start at the end of the Civil War? 
Yep. Right after the Civil War, it was, um, you know, it first started uh, one of the first land holdings that was bought by formerly enslaved people was a cemetery, um, which was later rediscovered with the expansion of Highway 75, but then expanded into homes, to churches, to schools. You mentioned it being really large, um, 272 square feet. We're about to come in, I mean, or square miles. We're about to come into football season um, for the Super Bowl. And so imagine Imagine, right, how many football fields that is, but we're talking about an area that expands, um, you know, through the expanse of Highway 75, but land on both sides. And it's also hard to imagine, you know, when you're sitting on the land of BF Durrell, you can see over to downtown, but you could walk that at one point. Um, and, and so it's really crazy just how the city was literally dissected bisected, you know, cut in half um, in one side of the street on one side and the other on the other side of the freeway. And that was when the, when the, I suppose, when the metropolitan area there began to deteriorate after they put 75 right through the middle of it. Absolutely. And, and they dug it right through the graveyard, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I don't think that people really realize is that they knew that the graveyard was there during the first iteration um, of the freeway, but it just didn't make as much fuss um, until the 80s when just because there was the civil rights movement wasn't uh, as prominent. Exactly. When they first built Highway 75, they just put it right through the graveyards and nobody made any fuss about it. Then in 1980s, they decided to expand the uh, freeway. And when they started digging up the bodies, it became a, a very controversial subject. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about the way the city handled that? Because they went ahead and did it. Lit, so I, I should say my church, Pilgrim Rest Missionary Baptist Church, is on 1819 North Hall. It suffered the fate of other churches and members of the community and having to move. It's still in the area, but had to move its uh, former location to where it is now. Um, and so I was very familiar with the area and familiar with it changing over the years. And so I remember there um, was never much there. There used to be a police station um, over there, but also there were more apartments. There were little shanty houses um, that some of the former folks um, left behind and then the, the Roseland Project community, which has remained. Um, but I was really surprised to know as I was doing my research, I mean, it did take work, but I was just startled, um, <laughs> dumbfounded, and also crestfallen that no one had brought up the fact of the significance of the location. Um, you know, through various recordings, the site was bought um, by the entity owned by Kroger back in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, it's been covered by the Dallas Morning News, by city council, um, and no one brought up the significance of the land, that it was a former school, um, but also, you know, just in terms of what would happen to the community that's already been destroyed over there, um, but also this tax break. You know, you think about $2 million, and that's a lot of money, and not to mention that the city of Dallas is undergoing um, a new racial equity housing policy and really trying to put some practices in place um, to create more equitable housing policies, and this honestly just seems like a bad way to start. The Dallas, speaking of, Dal of uh, labor history in Dallas, they just recently acknowledged the, uh, I think your picture was in the paper for that too. 
They just recently acknowledged the lynching that took place in downtown Dallas. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, Mr. Allen Brooks was um, lynched off of Main Street uh, in, in Dallas. Uh, it was alleged that um, actually it was believed that <laughs> enslaved people um, had it was said that he had raped someone or caused harm to a young girl. Um, there's no evidence of that, um, but he was taken from his cell um, and, and yeah, in jail and hung up on the Elks Bridge, which stood prominently in downtown Dallas. Um, I believe it showed at the fair at one point and then it just disappeared. Um, but you think about crowds, there are postcards that remain of thousands and thousands thousands of people out to watch the lynching celebrating celebrating right um the the lynching of um uh, a black man and the inhumanity of that uh but not to mention that dallas has a really storied history you know um of of violence um and of harm to um to, to black people um and not just you know we think about the lynchings and murders but also just the economic harm you know you talk about the harm that's been done through labor movements um but but the the inability of a lot of black citizens and brown people and people that um are poor to, to really make a life in a city that is prospering and thriving and has done so ever since, you know, it became a settlement and um, erased indigenous people that were here and um, then continued to profit off of cotton labor um, and has continued to profit off of um, labor and folks not being paid equitable wages. But you did get manage to get uh, some acknowledgement of this lynching now, and there is a historical marker. They kept it quiet for the for over a hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and now at least people know about it. Now, my question is, how does knowing about these historical facts how does that help us cope with the world today? What what good comes from it? A lot of good. I mean, so much is important. America, while it says that it's a, a country that doesn't want to look back, we do a lot of looking back and commemorating. The question continues to be who we can commemorate and who we give voice to. And uh, the folks that have been com commemorated too often are white, able-bodied, cis, um, uh, white men and white people. And so what we're asking is- And, actually, and some of the most racist of the white people have been celebrated yeah. for a long, long time. And um, what we're asking is, I remember I grew up here um, between Pleasant Grove and Mesquite and really feeling ashamed um, in school learning, you know, um, during Black History Month, we'd learn about three to four Black people. Um, and it was what, Malcolm X? No, we didn't learn about Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, um, Frederick Douglass, and Harriet Tubman. And, you know, maybe add in a few more people, but it wasn't inclusive. And I really felt um, a lot of shame around my ancestors being enslaved. But when we talk about changing narrative and the importance of learning history is it means something else to say that our ancestors built this country, that the economy of the United States was built on the labor of enslaved people, but that also um, after enslavement, um, my ancestors came to a place like Dallas and created a life. They created community, uh, they created homes, schools, um, and they flourished. And it's, it's a wonder to just see how this community, the Black community in Dallas, has continued to rebuild.
But I really want us to think about what we keep asking people to do. It's honestly insurmountable odds. And how do we move on from that? That is wonderful. Would you care to comment on the national conflicts over 1619 project and uh, things you're so upset about cultural values? Uh -huh, critical race theory. Oh, and so yeah, my, yeah. yeah, my full-time job actually, because um, I did this project in my spare time, um, which is wild. Uh, but my full-time job is I am the co-founder of an organization called Young Leader Strong City. And our mission is to educate, equip, and activate students to have conversations about race, but also uh, realize their visions for um, an equitable society, a racially equitable society. And kids want to learn this history. They want more inclusive narratives. And, um, you know, really this is censorship um, and it's unacceptable, but also it just reminds us that this work we have to be relentless that um, as much as we have accomplished in the last few years, um, if not diligent, it will all go away. Um, but also we've, you know, we've always been in these circumstances. Education has always been a battleground. Uh, growing up, I always had to have um, education supplemented. I had to go to the library as a little girl to learn additional history. And so it's just saying, but what will we do? And um, I really wanted to do this project just as a way of saying this is my contribution to ensuring that the stories of black and brown people are not erased um, and that we continue to learn. So if, if you're encouraging students to have discussions about the real facts of American history, you must be in conflict with what the governor seems to be wanting and, and a lot of leading Republicans. Would you say so? definitely in conflict, probably. I don't think my project wins me any favors either, uh, but but I know that this is the history that students deserve, but honestly, that we all deserve, and um, we just got to do our piece of the work every day. So you think that it's worthwhile and that people should pursue it? Oh, absolutely. How can, um, how can people help you? Yes, uh, our work is called, again, Young Leaders Strong City, and our website is ylscmovement.com. What we want to do is get people really engaged uh, on the ground, working with their schools, going and talking to school board meetings, also ensuring um, that in your homes you uh, and with kids that you are in community with that kids have access to equitable books, you know, that the books um, have diverse readers, especially in Black History Month, but not just for this moment, but for a very long time. And so we, you know, we encourage people to follow your school boards, you can donate to our organization, um, and continue to show up, but do the work. James Baldwin, who's one of my favorite authors, says that hope must be invented every day. Um, and so I hope that we will continue to do the work and create a more equitable Dallas. Okay, give the contact information one more time. Uh-huh. It is Y, L is in Larry, S is in Sam, C is in Charlie, YLSCmovement.com. And they can get in touch with you and they can expand knowledge of Black history and especially in the Dallas area. I'm so mm -hmm. grateful to you, Amber Sims. Do you have any final words for us? No, thank you so much for reaching out. There'll be more coming from our project. It's in Dallas Free Press. And um, so, I mean, there's so much history un to uncover, just some legendary forces in Dallas Black education. Um, and, you know, really towards continuing to re-knit re together a history that um, really has been censored in some ways taken away from us. Solidarity.
This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.